I'd like to begin with a story that I heard. I heard about this young police recruit. There was this young police recruit, and he was taking his final exam, and he was in this classroom, before the, in the front of this large classroom. And the sergeant, the sergeant asked him this question. What would you do if you had to arrest your mother-in-law? What would you do if you had to arrest your mother-in-law? And without missing a beat, he said, call for backup. Now, guys, we may think that we're pretty tough until we face our mother-in-law, our wives. Amen. Again, I want to talk to you about God's model for manhood this morning. And uh, I was reading a while back, and there's a book out there entitled, Missing from Action, Vanishing Manhood in America. Can you imagine such a title? Vanishing Manhood in America. And this particular author talks about four different types of false images of men today. False images, four different types. The first that he talks about is, he talks about the macho, macho maniac. And then he mentions the Dirty Harry or the Rambo types or the Van Diesel types. And these particular guys, they deny all of their feelings and they ignore the law. They never worry. They never complain. They never apologize. They just sweat. The macho maniacs. The second group of guys that this author mentions is what he calls the great pretenders. And uh, from the 1970s, he mentions the Archie Bunkers of the world who try to build up their self-esteem by belittling everybody else, particularly their wife and their family. Now, the third type of, the third group of individuals is what he calls the world-class wimps. These are the Dagwood Bumsteads. These are the Dagwood Bumsteads of life, and they're so inept that they are constantly outwitted by their children and by their wives and by their dogs. The fourth type of guy that he mentions is what he calls the gender blenders. The gender blenders. Former Michael Jackson and boy Georges that don't even pretend to be masculine. They have a complete reversal of roles and of an, of an identity. Now, what is the opposite? What is the opposite of this? The opposite of this is God's model for manhood. God's model for manhood. Now, you may be born a male, but you and I don't choose to become a man until we make that choice. We make a choice. Man's greatness is not determined so much by the fact of his wealth or by the job he has, but by his faith and by his values. What kind of men is God looking for in today's world? Well, I think when we look at the story of Timothy and Epaphrodites, this particular section of scripture that the Apostle, Apostle Paul addresses to the Philippi church, we see five values, you might want to say, of a real man. And you see all of these things throughout scripture, but specifically in the lives of Timothy and Epaphrodites. And the very first 
thing that we see here is that these men, especially Timothy, had what we would call compassion. Compassion. A real man of God has compassion. And we're talking about individuals that put people above prophets. Listen, put people above prophets, put people above work, put people above their jobs, put people above all of these other things that often are competing in our world for all of these things. Over the long haul, relationships are a lot more valuable than faith. The Bible says, if I have not love, context, compassion, I am nothing. The greatest of these is faith, hope, and love, but the greatest among those three is love. You can be a success in everything else, but if you don't have love in your life and this compassion, the Bible says you're an absolute failure. You see, compassion is protecting the needs and the rights of other people. And too often I think people are in it just for themselves, not caring about their family members, unfortunately not caring about other people and not caring uh, to go out of their way. Timothy is an example of love and compassion. I want us to look at verses 20 through 21 again. Notice, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine, genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. Another translation says that everyone else is concerned about the affairs, their own affairs, but they're not concerned about other people. And it's specifically here about the cause of Christ. Paul says, Timothy is the only one that he really knows that does not just care about himself, but he cares about other people. In fact, the Phillips translation of this verse says, they are all wrapped up in their own affairs. The man who is wrapped up in himself and his own affairs is not a daddy, but he's a mummy. A good example of the man of compassion was this Samaritan man. Remember the story that found in Luke. There is this Samaritan who is traveling along a notorious highway, really just a little trail, you might want to say, between Jerusalem and Jericho. And it was known as a robber's highway. And sure enough, this Samaritan came around the corner and he saw a person. I just ran out. My battery must have just died. He, he ran out. Maybe I can use this. Sorry. Hey, I can, I can speak into this, I guess. Oh, there you go. Hey, it's working now? I'm sorry, folks. But can you imagine, there is this, uh, this fellow, as I said, the Samaritan name, he's traveling along, and he came around the corner, and he saw a man that was bleeding, and that was bruised, and that had been beaten up. And so the Samaritan went over to this person, this absolute stranger, and the Bible says he bandaged his wounds, and then after ministering to him, he put him on the back of his donkey, and then he took him to the local inn. And you might want to say he took out his express card, his gold card, and he said, 
I want to pray, pay for everything, this man's expenses, this man's stay, his food, whatever it may be, and then I'm going to step, stop by later on and I'm going to check on him. An absolute stranger he had compassion for. Compassion. God is looking for men who put people above prophets. Compassion. The second thing I see in this particular story is consistency. God is looking for men uh, who put character, character before conformity. They're not afraid to be different from the culture around them and to stand alone. Notice verse 22 again. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because of his son with his father. He has served with me in the work of the gospel. Now, prove means that he has tested character. He had integrity. In fact, did you know that Timothy's name means one who honors God? He was one who honored God. He didn't cave into peer pressure. Now, it has been said that if you don't stand, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. We're talking about men of conviction. We're talking about men of character who cannot be bought at any price, who are committed to Christian values consistent with their beliefs and convictions. There's a story that always comes to my mind when I think along these lines. And I think about a number of years ago, a particular person, a couple, that went to one of those KFC Kentucky Fried Chicken windows. And after they received their order and they went around the corner, they discovered that there was a shift change and evidently the, the proceeds from that morning, the bag that would normally go to the bank, was dropped into the fast food bag. And so they went back, this couple went back in and asked for the manager and said, hey, an accident has happened here. Here's your bag that should have gone to the bank. And the manager was so overwhelmed that he said, let me give you a reward. And I, I want to take your picture because I want to put your picture in the paper. And the man said, no, 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 no. We don't want a reward and we don't want a picture in the paper. And, and the manager said, no, I absolutely insist that you have your picture taken. And finally, the man pulled the manager aside and he said, listen, fella, this is not my wife. <laughs> now, I want you to listen I want you to listen to Proverbs chapter 10. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. So we're talking about consistency. What I am in public is the same in private, and my walk matches my talk. And the bottom line for manhood is integrity. Are you a person of your word? Are you a person of your word? A nice personality will make a good first impression, but success over the long haul will be built on character and not image. The man of integrity will not be afraid of what is going to be found out because the public and the private match one another. In fact, look at that other Proverbs there. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. It, it is a wonderful heritage, what? To have an honest father. It's a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. We're talking about consistency. The third thing that I see right here in the life of, of Timothy and Epaphroditus is cooperation. Cooperation. God is looking for men who cooperate before competition, who cooperate before competition. Paul recognized that he would get more accomplished 
if people work together than if they, if they did not work together. And this is a principle throughout Scripture. Look at verse 25 with me. Look what he says here. But I think it necessary to send back to you, Epaphrodites, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. He describes three terms. He describes three relationships. He describes three things here that all have to do with working with one another. He says, brother, worker, soldier. There are three things about the Christian life. Number one, it's a family and we're related. And there's 133 times in the New Testament Paul uses the word brother. That's my brother. That's my sister. It is an endearing term when you use the word brother. It's somebody that you... It's really, that's my brother. That's my sister. It's not just, oh, that's my brother. That's my brother. That's somebody who I don't want to compete with. That's somebody who I want to cooperate with. That's somebody that I want to do something with. I want to promote unity and downplay disunity. And the second thing is, in the Christian life, it's a fellowship. Our goal, our task, is to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. And that's our goal and that's our task. And so we have a goal, we have a common goal, and we have a common task. We have these purposes. We want to reach and teach people for Jesus, and we want to help disciple them. And so we are unified in that purpose. And number three, it is a fight. When you become a Christian, you're not fighting against one another, but the Bible says you're fighting against Old snaggletooth, not against flesh and blood, and we have a common enemy. And the enemy is not our brother or sister, it's the enemy of our soul, it's old snaggletooth. Now, can other Christian men say that about you? Are you cooperative? Do you get along? Do you have unity? Do you promote unity or do you promote disunity? Do you cooperate on your job? Do you cooperate with other Christian people? Uh, are you trying to up one the ship, somebody? Are you trying to say, well, I got a bigger house than you do, I got a bigger car than you do, I got a bigger boat, whatever it may be? Uh, are, are there, is there competition or is there cooperation? And uh, the Bible says that we're to downplay disunity and we're to upplay unity. There's tremendous power in unity and oneness. Um, how many of you remember years ago? Brian's song, that movie, and I think it was based upon a book. In the 1960s, Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers played, they were both running backs, and they played professional football for the Chicago Bears. Now, in the 1960s, when you had a black and, and, and white players playing on the same team, that wasn't a big deal. But when you had people in the 1960s rooming together of different races, that was a big deal. And Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo chose to be roommates on the road together because they thought that highly of one another. And in the 1967-1969 series, uh, excuse me, in 67-69 years, unfortunately, Brian Piccolo, this running back for the Chicago Bears, contracted cancer and he was in the hospital more than he was on the playing field although he continued to try to play during those two years and often Gail Sayers would fly back to where Brian Piccolo was at and would visit him in the hospital room while he could they and their wives had a long-standing plans to set together at the annual professional football writers banquet in New York where Gail Sayers 
was to receive the George S. Halas Award as the most courageous player in professional football team. But by the time of the banquet, Brian Piccolo was too sick to attend with his wife and he was at home in bed, now dying of cancer. And I'll never forget in that movie, it was very, very moving and touching. Have you ever seen that movie? It's still touching today, Brian's song. They portray in real life what Gail Sayers did. He stood up behind the podium, this black man, muscular, with determination in his eyes and humility, and he said this, You flatter me by giving me this award, but I tell you here now that I accept it for Brian Piccolo. Brian Piccolo is a man of courage who should receive the George S. Halas Award. I love Brian Piccolo, and I would like you to love him too. Tonight, when you hit your knees, please ask God to love him as well. Now, that's what I call cooperation above competition. When two grown men competing for the same position room together and in a manly way, not a homophobic way, can say, I love you. And be in that kind of relationship. What a difference that can make. I want you to listen to what Scripture says about unity and oneness. Judges chapter 20, verse 11. So all the men of Israel got together United as one man against this city. When men are united in our task, the task of reaching and teaching people for Jesus Christ, when there is not one upmanship and braggart type of you know, attitude, and when there's humility there, watch out what happens in that particular church. Watch what happens. Nothing can stop that kind of church. Christian men are not to compete with each other, rather they're to cooperate with each other. We're talking about characteristics of manhood. The fourth characteristic that I see in this particular passage of Scripture is commitment. God is looking for men who put the cause of Christ before personal comfort. This is what the Apostle Paul says about Epaphrodites. I want you to look at the second part of verse 25 and then drop down to verse 27. Who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs? Verse 27. Indeed he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. You say, what's happening here, Pastor Ron? Epaphrodites volunteered. He said, in my paraphrase, I'll take this special offering that the Philippian church has collected and I will personally take it to Paul despite hardship, despite being 800 miles, traveling six to eight weeks, facing all of these things, and along the way he got sick, he got ill, he almost died, he got some sort of a disease or infection, 
And the Apostle Paul said, he almost died bringing this gift that you gave me, writing to the Philippian church. This is a man of commitment. Now listen, fellas, I meet a lot of people in our world today, and I don't think they're, um, they're in here. You're men of commitment. But I do meet a lot of men in our world today that it's easier to talk about commitment than follow through. They start something, but they don't follow through. They say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but they don't follow through. They say, I'm going to be a family man, but they don't follow through. They say, I'm going to start this, and I'm going to be this, but they don't follow through. The Bible says that this man, this young man by the name of Epaphrodites, he was committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. He was committed. He had character. He followed through. There's an old saying out there that says, put your money where your mouth is. Look at, listen to James chapter 2, verse 17. Faith by itself, if not accomplished by action, is absolutely dead. And so God is looking for people of action who not only talk the talk, but who walk the talk. Walk the talk. Um, ministry always costs. Did you know that? Now listen, I, I enjoy, I enjoy my hobbies and my interests. I have a motorcycle that I don't ride that much, but when I ride it, I love it. And I enjoy backpacking. I enjoy hockey, hiking. But I don't want my hobbies and interests to interfere with my personal commitments that I've made to the Lord. And it can happen. And then let's talk about another subject. We're talking about commitment. The number one complaint that I hear from wives is this, and I don't think there's any fellow like this this morning. Passive husbands. When it comes to work and when it comes to a job, my husband's out there and he's working hard, but when he comes home, he's like a bump on the log. He's like a bump on the log. He's a frozen chosen. You were talking about men that hide and advocate leadership in the, in the home and letting the wife and letting the kids take all the leadership. Passive in their spiritual life. Don't want to pray. Don't want to pray with their wives. God uses men of action who take the initiative. Often spiritual awakening occurs in any church, in every church that I've ever been associated with, when all of a sudden men take the lead and they stand up and say, this is what God wants me to be. And this is what I'm going to be all about. In my home and in my life and in my ministry, I'm not going to be just a spectator, but I'm going to be involved. And I'm going to follow through. I'm going to make that commitment. Well, let's go on here. The fifth thing that I see is courage. Courage. God is looking for men who put service before security. Service before security. Today's value system says, you know, do everything you can to build that nest egg, right? And there's nothing wrong with making retirement plans. There's nothing wrong with providing security for yourself and your family. But the whole, listen, the whole goal in life is not to provide financial security. That's not the whole goal of your life, is not to provide financial security. The whole goal in our life is, is to risk everything, you might want to say, for the kingdom of God, to be stressed and to do things that the Lord wants us to do. 
look at verses 29 through 30 with me this morning. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men. Notice, talking about Epaphroditus, honor men like him. Why? Verse 30, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you cannot give. Now, what you don't know, you may not know, is that that word risking, or risk, in Greek literally means hazarding his life. Hazarding his life. Risking his life. For the help that you could not give me. For the help you gave me. It's a gambling term. It means to throw the dice and to stake everything on that roll of the dice. Risking everything. Epaphrodites said, I'm committed and I'll courageously do what you want me to do and I'll risk everything for the ministry that God has called me to do because I believe in your ministry, Paul. That's in essence what he was saying. I believe in your ministry. Now, we, can I just say this? There's, there's a lot of wimp. Can I say W-I-M-P? Wimp. Wimp. Guys, no goals, no purposes, no challenges. There's n- nothing that challenges people. And yet, this is what the Bible says. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. So then, my brothers, because of God's great mercy on us, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God, dedicated to His service and pleasing to Him. Don't conform to the standards of this world, but be, let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. In other words, what he's trying to say here is, you don't accept the world's standards of manhood. The world's standards of manhood, like I've already talked about earlier are way down here. They have different values. They have different, uh, uh, different leanings, you might want to say, uh, a, a different pattern. But he says, don't, don't follow the patterns of the, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, offer yourselves. That means volunteer. What have I volunteered lately for the cause of Christ? What have I sacrificed for Jesus Christ lately, really? What have I sacrificed for the Lord? It says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Um, Oh, man. Can I preach? Can I preach it? Why is it so difficult when you're having marital problems to go to a pastor or or Christian marriage counselor? Come on, guys. Why are we so chicken? Why is it so difficult to say, I'm going to make a commitment to tithe? Why is it so difficult? And live on 90%. You know, I, I, just, I just meet a lot of guys that are just so bored and so unfulfilled. They don't like their job. They're just living. Why are they so bored and unfulfilled? They've lost this sense of commitment wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ and the cause of Christ. And it can happen. It's not an intentional thing. It's that there's a drift. There's a drift that happens in life. 
especially as you approach middle age, I've noticed, and, and later, it's just a drift. I want you to listen to Mark chapter 8, verse 35. I think it's in your message notes. Look at it with me. Only those who give away their lives, Jesus said, for my sake and for the sake of the good news, will ever know what it really means to live life. And I, I, I have a bet that some of you have been there before, but maybe you're on the other side and you're drifting. But you know, when you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. When you just absolutely give the Lord yourself 100%, wholehearted, that's, that's adventure. That's life. Um, because when you stop risking and living that way, spiritually speaking, you begin to die. It's only been about, you know, what is it, 75, 85 years ago that uh, Lenin, remember Lenin, founder of communism, he talked to a, a little group of 12 to 14 people and he said, give me 100 totally committed men and I will change the world. Evidently, he was on to something. 60%, 70% of the world is still under the domination of communism. There's power in commitment. Power. I, I, I read a number of years ago about a couple. This is a true story. There was a couple, and they were the parents of a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old. 10-year-old and 4-year-old. And they decided to go on vacation without their kids. And so this couple was gone for 10 days, and they allowed their 10-year-old and 4-year-old to fend for themselves while they were enjoying the, the sun in the South. When the authorities found out about it, of course, they arrested the mother and father, and they took the kids away from them, and they ended up in foster, foster care. Now, I want you to contrast that incident with this heart-wrenching story that Patrick Morley tells about in his book, The Man in the Mirror. Some Alaskan fishermen, evidently a number of years ago, this is a true story, Alaskan fishermen took three adults and a boy and he flew to this secluded bay in Alaska and he took them fishing. And they arrived in this small seaplane with the platoons on it. You know what I'm talking about there? And they had a great afternoon of fishing. But much to their surprise, they found that the aircraft sitting on the ground uh, while they were fishing, the tide came in and pushed the aircraft on land. And so they had these pontoons on it and they couldn't fly out of there. So they had to wait for the tides to come back in so they spent the night. Are you, get, are you tracking with me? So they had a wonderful time catching fish, but unfortunately they had to spend a night because the tides blew the, or pushed the, the uh, small aircraft upon the shore. And then the next day they decided to take off. 
the next morning. And the, this, this plane took off, and, and, and within minutes, however, this plane began to stall and fell back down toward the sea because one of the pontoons had sprung a leak and the extra weight was too much for the small engine, and so the plane crashed into the ocean. And all four passengers survived the crash. And after praying, the four abandoned the sinking plane and started swimming toward shore. Fighting against cold, cold water, a vicious riptide, two of the adults safely reached land. Looking back, however, they saw the other man cradling his 12-year-old son in his arms as they were swept out to the sea. The father could have made it to the shore alone, but his small son could not. And rather than leave his son to die by himself, the father chose to die with his son. This is what the Bible says. Greater man, greater love, has this, then a man will lay down his life for his friend. Would you lay down your life for your brother, for your sister, for a stranger, for your children? We need men of compassion. We need men of courage. We need men of commitment who will go against the flow of everyday life and who will stand up and say, yes, I'll fight for my family. Yes, I'll fight for my marriage. Yes, I'll fight through thick and thin for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will commit myself wholeheartedly to God. We need such men today. Let me tell you, we do. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And let's pray together. Yeah. <clears throat>